Recorded live. Hey, it's Michael Adams talking about the truth. What day is it? I don't know. What day is it? Oh, uh, yeah, it's uh, June the 1st, 2015. Do another part. I hope they won't swear. Why uh, they won't swear on the Bible? Something like that? Anyways. Yeah. Anyways, there's a really good documentary that you probably should watch. It's called The Flat Earth Conspiracy Documentary. I know. I know. The problem is I can't play it on this because it's a lot of visual. You need to see it for yourself. Not too many documentaries out there that I'd recommend. This one is very interesting. Alrighty. Well, for the meantime, we're going to listen to Flat Earth Conspiracy. No, we're not. We're going to listen to Flat Earth Comedy Special. Here we go. We don't have time for a meeting of the Flat Earth Society. We're trying to move towards the future. They, they want to be stuck in the past. We've heard this kind of thinking before. Let me tell you something. If some of these folks were around when Columbus set sail, They must have been founding members of, of the Flat Earth Society. They, they would not have believed that the world was round. Criminals 
these people in the space program, nassholes, I call them. <laughs> in case you haven't heard, the latest disaster for the rest of the universe is that the United States is going to go to Mars. Okay? Oh, yeah. We're going to go to Mars. And then, of course, we're going to colonize deep space with our microwave hot dogs and plastic vomit, fake dog shit and cinnamon dental floss and lemon-scented toilet paper and sneakers with lights in the heels. <laughs> and all these other impressive things we've done down here. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What are we going to tell the Intergalactic Council of Ministers the first time one of our teenage mothers throws her newborn baby into a dumpster, huh? How are we going to explain that to the space people? How are we going to let them know that our ambassador was only late to the meeting because his breakfast was cold and he had to spend half an hour punching his wife around the kitchen? Uh, what are they going to think when they find out it's just a local custom that over 80 million women in the third world have had their clitorises forcibly removed in order to reduce their sexual pleasure so they won't cheat on their husbands? Can't you just sense how eager the rest of the universe is for us to show up? Can't you see them out there? Reality is reinforced by group 
dynamics witnessing an event. People are fucking dumb. You can say what you want about this country, and I love this place. I love the freedoms we used to have. I love it. I love that. I love it when it didn't take a fucking catastrophe to get us to care for one another. I love the fact that we're on camera all the time from all angles. But you know what? You can say what you want about America. And I say I love this place. I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't live in any other time in history in any other place. But say what you want about America. Land of the free, home of the brave. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. Dumbass motherfuckers. Yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, that doesn't include this audience. I understand that. You seem intelligent and perceptive, but the rest of them, holy jumping fucking shitballs. Dumber than a second coat of paint. And this ain't just ranting and raving. This ain't just blowing off steam. I got a little evidence to support my claim. It just seems to me, seems to me, that only a really low IQ population could have taken this beautiful continent this magnificent American landscape that we inherited, well, actually, we stole it from the Mexicans and the Indians, but, hey, it was nice when we stole it. It looked pretty good. It was pristine. Paradise. Have you seen it lately? Have you taken a good look at it lately? It's fucking embarrassing. Only a nation of unenlightened half-wits could have taken this beautiful place and turned it into what it is today, a shopping mall. A big fucking shopping mall. You know that? That's all you got. That's all you've got here, folks. Mile after mile of mall after mall. Many, many malls. Major malls and mini malls. They put the mini malls in between the major malls. And in between the mini malls, they put the mini marts. And in between the mini marts, you got the car lots, gas stations.
Buffalo shops, laundromats, cheap hotels, fast food joints, strip clubs, and dirty bookstores. America the Beautiful, one big transcontinental commercial cesspool. And how do the people feel about all this? How do the people feel about living in a coast-to-coast shopping mall? Well, they think it's just fucking dandy. They think it is cool as can be, because Americans love the mall. They love the mall. That's where they get to satisfy their two most prominent addictions at the same time. Shopping and eating. Millions of semi-conscious Americans, day after day, shuffling through the malls, shopping and eating, especially eating. Americans love to eat. They are, they are fatally attracted to the slow death of fast food. Hot dogs, corn dogs, triple bacon, cheeseburgers, deep-fried butter, dipping pork fat and cheese whiz, mayonnaise, soaked barbecue, mozzarella, patty melts. Americans will eat anything, anything, anything. If you were selling sautéed raccoons' assholes on a stick, Americans would buy them and eat them. These people, these people are efficient, professional, compulsive consumers. That's their, they think of that as, their, as the, the, their national pride. It's their civic duty, consumption. This is the new national pastime. Fuck baseball. It's consumption. The only true lasting American value that's left, buying things. Buying things. People spending money they don't have on things they don't need. Money they don't have on things they don't need. So they can max out their credit cards and spend the rest of their lives paying 18% interest on something that costs 12.50. And they didn't like it when they got it home anyway. Not too bright, folks. Not too fucking bright. Pluto is a perfect example of them landing on the moon. I mean, it's proof right there. This is an official NASA photo of the first Apollo 11 lunar module landing on the moon. I mean, it's right there. This is proof, man. The picture's right there. It's landing on the moon. But the only problem I have with this picture is that it's taken from the moon. <laughs> I don't know what the big deal was with being the first guy on the moon. Uh, the camera crew was already there. <laughs> the fucking tripod. <laughs> camera ABC. Well, back in the 60s, I mean, I know people who believe they saw the landing on the moon because they heard it on the radio. That's how they didn't hear the on the moon. I can hear the suck. My God, I can hear him walk. He's walking slow. There's zero gravity up there. They're on there now. They're on there now. I could just see a guy in a fountain just taking fucking, like a bag of salt going, landing on the wooden floor just going, oh my God, they're there. They're on it right now. That's how get in here. How would you know? There's no independent telescope to even like say they went to the moon. The only telescopes that I've actually filmed it were NASA telescopes. Yes, according to people who run the moon, they landed on the moon.
being deceptive after they came back. I go, what is that? I look at all that stuff. When I look at the video footage that that, that Bart Seabrook character, who's clearly out of his mind, for sure. And so is that Excellent. Renee guy, and so are a lot of those guys. But sometimes, occasionally, someone who's clearly out of their mind has a point. If you can sift through all their BS and look at all the crap that they say and, and run it through a filter, every now and then they'll say something, oh, well, this guy's wrong about almost everything, but is he wrong about that? Now, when I look at that video and some of the video that – that Cebro has of them faking the distance between the Earth and the Moon when they're shooting the Moon or the Earth rather through uh, a circular window in the in the lunar module and they have the windows blacked out. They're pretending that it's deep space. They're saying that are 130,000 miles out and then you see them pull the window curtains down or the shade whatever they have covering up with the windows and you see that they're actually in near Earth orbit. That makes me curious. When I look at the photographs and I see intersecting shadows, now I'm no photographic expert. I don't know anything about the moon really except stuff that I've read on the internet. I'm no scientist. But when I see intersecting shadows that seem to show some sort of a different light source or more than one light source, it looks odd to me. When I see that those cameras, those, those crosshairs aren't over all the images, it looks cut and cropped to me. When I look at some of the photographs of the moon, I have this gigantic coffee book, uh, a coffee table book, and it's all, you know, a NASA book, and it's uh, beautiful pictures of the moon and all these different photographs. Well, when I look at some of them, they look obviously fake. They look cut and cropped. And I'm not saying I know they are. I'm not saying I have any special information. But I'm an open-minded person, and when I look at it, I say, look, I know I sound like a retard. I know I sound like a crackpot. I know saying that, you know, the Earth is hollow, there's dinosaurs inside of it, I'm sure. I, it's very similar to saying, I don't think people landed on the moon. But you know what? I don't think people landed on the moon. <laughs> no champion ever since the Apollo astronauts has gone more than 400 miles up. Um, that's about right, yeah. That's ridiculous. 260,000 miles there and back, and the best they can do since 1972 is 400 miles? Yeah. And now while you're saying it's ridiculous because you can't believe it, I think it's ridiculous because I can believe it very well. But there's because no, it's not like they're not spending money. And they keep talking about going back, but they talk about going back in 2020. Why, why right. go back in 2020 when you could just well, – that, that's the other problem. They, they don't have the telemetry data from the Apollo 11. Isn't that like the most important data? Isn't that like the most important thing? A huge technological achievement. They landed a man on the moon, brought him back, and they're missing the telemetry data? 14,000-something reels? They're missing – a lot of that stuff was, um, was not – because you can't fake it. You can't play the telemetry data. One of the things that's most irritating about this, uh, about this conspiracy theory for someone like me is that a lot of this stuff is really subtle and complicated. Well, we're cutting in again. Uh, apologize for the, the swearing and all that, but these men have a right to express their opinion the way they want to. I wouldn't do it myself, but that's me. That doesn't mean that what they're saying is not true. So hopefully we can get this reboated again. Isn't it interesting that they constantly are causing me problems? I think I'm treading on some toes here, exposing the lies about this whole 
Jewish thing and how they somehow these people are some kind of uniquely distinct nation or group of people when nobody is it turns out that a guy like of all people Steve Anderson has more Jewish blood in him than they do what the heck and now we're learning more about all these lies from NASA and of course what do they do they interfere constantly with it I talk you know I'll talk about something else. they don't have a problem I start talking about this kind of stuff oh, they don't have a problem in fact they see nothing they're more tolerant tolerant about we the fact time for a meeting of the flat earth society I talked about the Jesuits. What's up with that? I keep sending you about 14,000 reels. I don't know the number. And so, yeah, you know, that's true. 14,000 or 14,000. I forget. I know a lot of the original, a lot of the original telemetry has been lost. You've lost, um, if you lost more than 100 of the telemetry, that, 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 that's insane. It, it, a lot of the stuff was owned by contractors. It was shelved. They weren't paid to store it. And it's it NASA. It's NASA. NASA lost it. This is the I don't know, NASA footage. Watch. NASA, NASA is not just NASA. NASA is civil servants. NASA is ten different contractors. There were North Grumman. There was North American. Yeah, there Grumman was lost all the stuff. Guys. So did Boeing. They lost all the information too on the moon buggy, on the lunar module. They lost all, all that the, stuff. This is a convenient. It's another. It's another argument about conspiracy theories. Not to me. Um, the, each one of these missions, each one of these lunar landers was different. It's not like they designed a car and then just cranked them out. They had an overall design, and then each one was different. Each one, they had to note all of these changes and everything, and it was all done on paper. I got to tell you, Phil, paper, I'm not done with you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we haven't even gotten into solar flares. The apex of a 20-year solar cycle happened yeah. while the, the Apollo landings are going on. Let's uh, get a pride up there, baby. This is rocky. This is rocky. Yeah, Joe is Yes, there has to be another installment. Joe Rogan, Phil Flight, CBS Radio. This is Benjamin. Speaking of flying through space, you don't think the moon landing is real? No, I don't. No, no. Do you? Yeah. Why do you think the moon landing is real? Why don't you tell me why? I saw it on television. Oh, you're a genius. Oh, beat that. Okay. We'll believe it. We'll believe it. No, it's okay. We got That's it. That's genius. You saw it on TV? That's awesome. I'm going to show you some CGI. I'm going to show you King Kong. I saw that on TV, too. There's an 80-foot gorilla. He's running around kidnapping white chicks. You should check it out. Hello, huh? 1972 was the last time a human being has been through the Van Allen radiation belt. 1972. That's the last time. There's been only seven trips ever that human beings have ever gone past 400 miles. Every single space station mission, every space shuttle, every satellite, all of those are inside the protective Van Allen radiation belts, which started at 1,000 miles. They go from 1,000 miles to, depending on who you ask, if you ask NASA, 24,000 miles. If you ask James Van Allen, the guy who discovered it, it's 67,000 miles of intense radiation that's in a gigantic donut band that covers around the Earth. Now, even if you got outside of that band, you have to deal with solar cycles. There's the apex of a 20-year solar cycle was between 1969 and 1972. All the time when these guys were making those missions. Any one of those guys out there in those Tiny little aluminum shielded craft would have been killed instantly during any solar flare. Why fake it? Thank you, Why not fake it? You look at it in the footage online, it looks ridiculous. 
It looks stupid. If you look at the videos, it looks ridiculous and dumb. You know why? Because in 1969, nobody anticipated that we were going to have VCRs and the Internet. We were going to be able to watch that. They figured out a way to fake it. That's why when Neil Armstrong got back, first of all, he went insane. He went into a deep depression. So did Buzz Aldrin. He became a huge alcoholic. He gave no interviews. Neil Armstrong still to this day will not give interviews. He gave one speech that he gave at the 25th anniversary of the moon landing. And this is what he said in front of America's best honor students. He said, we have here amongst us America's best and brightest. And the quote was, you will achieve many great things if you could peel away one of truth's hidden layers. That's a speech this guy gives standing in front of the top honor students. Not, I went to the moon. He doesn't say that. He gives this cryptic speech. Now, Bill Clinton, in page, I think it's 156 of his book, My Life, he gives this story about how when he was a kid, he was working with this carpenter. And this carpenter said, you know, I don't believe man landed on the moon. It was three months after the moon landing. And he said, I thought that guy was ridiculous. He said, you know what? I don't believe anything those TV fellows show you. He said, after eight years in the White House, I thought maybe that guy was ahead of his time. Wow. This is in Bill Clinton's autobiography. Wow. This is in his book. There's no way people went on the moon. There's no way. By the way, it's, it's impossible today. China wants to go back to the moon. They don't even have a clue how to do it. They're going to try to get there in 2020. America thinks we could possibly go back in 2017. All of the hard data, the telemetry data, 14,000 reels is missing. No one can find it. With the telemetry data, that that's the binary that data, amazing? the ones and the zeros to show the distance between the command module and the Earth during every step of the way on the way to the moon and back, which you can't fake. They don't have that. They can't find it, which you would think would be in a locked golden vault at the Smithsonian. But no, they can't find it. Well, they say, well, you know, they, they place laser reflectors on the moon. You can shoot a laser beam. That's proof. Well, it's not proof because the Russians did it twice with unmanned probes. The Russians also collected space samples and samples of the moon. Very amazing. And I've had these guys on and which guys I, you know the different guys on the internet that are behind there's the, a lot of guys and I, yeah. I've debated that one guy yeah. that Phil played from Battis I clown that guy the guy that gets in every astronaut's face well that guy's crazy Christian and he's nuts which is you know what you have to be a little crazy but, to look that deep into this theory but because wait. it seems so Joe. solid we went Joe. through it. it seems so solid Joe. until you look into it but here's the only thing we can't what? keep anything quiet in this country it doesn't matter no one's keeping it quiet everybody look at it the astronauts I mean, those guys are afraid of their lives Gus Grisham the pilot who was the guy who died on the launch pad along with two of his friends he was a public critic of NASA. He put a lemon, he hung it on the simulator, put a lemon and put it on a hanger and hung it. He was dead in that same, that same cockpit. He died like two weeks later. They, he burned to death inside of that. They were, they were terrified. This was a matter of life and death. These guys were in the middle of a huge Cold War between Russia, and they wanted to show that America had technological superiority. The race to the moon, the moon lay, all that stuff is not about going to the moon and collecting things. It's about m military superiority. It's about the ability to do things with military technology. All that stuff they use for NASA, all the stuff they use for the stealth bomber, the space shuttle, all those missions, that's not for... It's not for philanthropy missions. That's, that's to fuel the military-industrial complex. The machine behind this is all the military. And getting to the moon first is making a statement that we have military technological superiority over Russia. And that's what they did. Is Bigfoot real? I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. That's, it's, uh, you've got a if you good, look into it, man, before you look into it, look, there's photo, every photograph of the moon looks goofy. There's intersecting shadows that show more than one light source. And you can try to explain any one of these okay. things away, which many people do. Joe, but the Joe. problem is when you look at them all together. Joe, Joe we're not what? on for 10 hours. There's no way people went on the moon. There's no way. 
There's no way people went on the moon. There's no way. Neil Tyson, thank you very much for coming on here, man. This is an honor. This is a blast. I think the universe is going to explode. You are for sure the most requested podcast guest ever in the history of this podcast. So Brian and I have been doing this for three years, and we have come full cycle with your appearance here today. Right, right, right. Like you, you're very important. I don't know if you know how important like the cool guy scientist is. I can't tell you how very important. So, so I, have, <laughs> I have evidence of how important that is. Um, you know, I think one of the cool things about you and your approach to science is I, I think it's very refreshing that if someone doesn't know something, you're not condescending about it. You're, you're very enthusiastic about distributing the information, but you're not casting a judgment while you do that. And that is something that I think has freaked a lot of people out about really intelligent people or scientists or someone who talks about anything where they have no experiences. This is a sort of a condescending sort of a carrying of that knowledge that you don't have. So you were a moon guy for a while, right? That's yeah, I, well, I, listen, my, my issues with not believing that people went on the moon, a, a lot of it had to do with a friend who had an uncle who worked at Rocketdyne. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. Uh, this guy was convinced that there was no way to do it. He was an engineer. And he said they were so far away from doing it that the fact that they did it, and they did it seven times. But I, since looking at it, the, the weight of all the evidence, there the, are... Uh, I reserve the possibility that some things were horseshit based on a lot of photographic evidence that they did fuck with, well, here's like the, the Gemini photos. Yeah, but here, here it is. Here, here, here it is. Uh, if you look at, like, the fuel that was loaded up into the Saturn V rocket, you can calculate where that fuel could take that rocket. It's to the moon and back. <laughs> so it's not going to the piggly-wiggly, right, yeah. in the Saturn V. No, I'm a retard. Listen, if, if anybody has any real sense, they would look at it and say there's no way that that was a hoax. There's well, no way. There's no way that that was a hoax. There's well, no way. There's no way people went on the moon. There's no way. There's no way people went on the moon. There's no way. See? Honestly, moon landing shit, was it real? Was it not? I, it was not in the back of my mind. Yeah, it wasn't in mind, but I forgot that Russell's a moon guy. Look, I, I've, I've argued with people, and I absolutely don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't believe. Joe, Joe, you were totally down for you were the moon hoax crusader. No, 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 no. Listen, you were totally down for you were the moon hoax crusader. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, man. Here's my issue. My issue is how can I even argue it? How is it possible that I even have points? Joe, how is it possible that anybody Joe, have go any to the moon? You see, hey, you see Breezy right there, time, he took dude. fucking all this shit. I hope someone did go to the moon. I hope someone did. I really do. I don't know if they didn't. I have this feeling, man, because you know there's a handful of people actually wearing everything. That's true. It's provable. Not a fucking not a conspiracy nut. Proved. Handful. Very small. Mind all these corporations, which include the mainstream media. I have this feeling because I'm an elected president. Uh, no matter what you promise, you promise on the campaign trail, blah, blah, blah. When you win, you go into this smoky room with 12 industrialists, capitalists, scumfucks who got you in there. And you're in this smoky room and this little uh, film screen comes down and a big guy in a cigar roll the film. And it's a shock of Kennedy assassination from an angle you've never seen before. Because it looks suspiciously off uh, the grassy knoll. And in the film, the screen goes up, and the lights come up, and they go, the new president, any questions? Uh, just what my agenda is, 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 what my agenda is.
Welcome back to Bad America. Your government is in control. Here's love connection. Watch this and get back stupid. By the way, keep drinking beer, you fucking moron. Fucking moron. Fucking moron. Fucking moron. Fucking moron.
course, I have no illusions about these cocksuckers. I know there's 12 guys who run the fucking world, and uh, they own every company, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fact. You can look it up. I'm not a conspiracy nut. This is all on paper. There really are 22 families who will run and own 50% of the mainstream media, which is where we get our news. <laughs> and, uh, and it's true. It's a fact. You can look it up. I don't, you know, I, I, I can't be this big of an asshole without having the truth to back me up. Otherwise, I'd be a fucking nut doing this. But see, if you have the truth with you, you can do this. This is an amazing monument to uh, sort of feet of space exploration. This is the Galileo satellite. Full authentic NASA imagery of the Galileo satellite. That's a cost like trip a tree. The whole split up the foundation space. This is the Galileo satellite. They never knew it was going that far. They reached Jupiter. You know, they didn't know it. The first time anything goes that far, they managed to get there. There's Jupiter. There's one of its moons. I mean, it's clearly lining up to take some really good photos of Jupiter. Immediately followed by a camera satellite. <laughs> Perfectly composing the whole shot out in outer space. <laughs> Amazing, eh? What the cameras can do when they fly. It's an outer space, a place we've never been to. That's amazing. Look at that. That's perfect. That's like the photo of the year, if you ask me. For a fucking satellite to be able to, like, uh, you know, like wake up in outer space, we didn't know we could do that. Man. And it's uh, unbelievable. I give it to Matt. Let's go to another photo here. Another photo here. This is good too. Oh, yeah, you know, I love that iMovie sort of the, I'm really getting the gas. So how am I supposed to go yeah, that's the earth from there? That point of view I've never seen. And it's funny when you click on Google Images, go to the earth, keep going. And this is realistic. But and this you'll see forty pages on Google. But it's always the same fucking photo. Oh, yeah, boom, 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 40 pages. Look closely. It's always the same. Oh, what is that? I guess this is the photo of the Hubble telescope taking a picture of itself. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's an authentic photo of the Hubble telescope out there doing its job. Isn't that amazing how they could take a photo up and see taking photos? Out in outer space. Unbelievable. You know, they never crossed Antarctica, but let's go to the moon and take pictures of shit out in space. That's fucking unbelievable. You know, the instruments will work in Antarctica. It's too fucking cold, but hey, let's go somewhere we, where we don't know the instruments will work. That's unbelievable. I can't. It just boggles my mind how they do this stuff. I like that, so it's solar power, by the way. Solar power. Look at that. Environmental. Environmental in and out of space. Okay. <laughs> That's my only fucking fan, right there. Naomi. There you go. There you go. There's what you believe. That's it. That's it. That's it. That point of view you've never seen. It's fucking funny, man. I think it's funny. You've never seen that, but everybody goes, yeah. You should, you should think about these things, right? I heard that, you know, if you want to, like, program a human mind, what you do is you just repeat images to a young child while the brain is forming. Yeah, pretty much. And then, you know, the kid fucking grows up, and you go, why is the kid? Fucking mind control is great. But just, I, it's an example. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. There could have been a camera rocket that got there on the moon, set up, Those guys, they're so ahead. They don't tell us. Right? <laughs> there you go again. 
Think of the same thing, cloud patterns, only the same cloud patterns. <laughs> <laughs> me to do this one. They just knocked me offline again. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Here we go again. They really don't want me talking about this stuff. They don't want me talking about the Jesuit-controlled iteration of the state of Israel, and they definitely don't want me talking about this stuff. My goodness. Over and over again, getting knocked off and Save the trouble. Troubleshooting.
This is Will it happen? Will they let me do it? Mm-hmm. By the way, once again, I apologize for all the filthy language, but you know what? Sometimes that's what needs to be done to wake somebody up. Don't necessarily agree with it, but sometimes shock shock does have its value. Come on. Okay, we'll try it again. We'll try to reload it. And then we'll go... We don't have time for a meeting of the...
Whoever coined the phrase, let the buyer beware, was probably bleeding from the asshole. <laughs> Okay, so here's the, uh, the picture of the Earth from, uh, from space. There it is. Since you're a kid, you've seen this image. But uh, you've never seen it from that point of view. You've never seen that with your eyes from that scale of a model, that point of view, from outside of the planet's surface. But with your brain, that's three-dimensional Oh, yeah, that's the Earth. How? Through repetition. That's the image. How do we get to this point of the image? This is fucking funny. I think this is funny. Next image. Well, here's the, uh, the first image that sold the whole thing. And you can see that's clearly the universe. <laughs> I mean, that's clearly the universe. That's what I got. I mean, there's the sun. I mean, I could recognize that thing. A bullseye, it's like a planet, it's an egg, whatever. But there you go, you got each rung, the whole thing. 1482, this is when we came up with this idea. We were on that thing, it's a ball. Hey, we should go to the north and the south pole. We didn't do it yet, it's a fucking ball. Hey, nobody's even like jumped up high enough to see if it is a ball. We can't do that, we don't have planes yet, it's a ball. You know what? We adopted this whole model like four or five years before the airplane. 400 years before the airplane, pretty much, so you know, but like, beginning 1900s. They went to the North Pole in the 1900s. This is 1482. Nobody went to the top of the globe, to the bottom, or flew up, or built a skyscraper. That's it. It's been a decade since, like, Columbus hit America. That's it. Yes, Spinoza, Lebanese, everybody was fighting to say, what the fuck we were on, how much land there really was. Real estate, right? Real estate. Commodity, but appreciate besides art, right? You don't know, really appreciate. They don't appreciate it except for until. It's funny how these two are meet and what I'm going to talk about. Next image. It's funny that we said that this is the, this is what we're in right now. This is what we're on before any instrument approved until boss. Can you do it? It's funny back in the '60s when when they went to the moon. This is the first time we actually had like an instrument of flight to actually go high enough to actually fucking check out if what we agreed to five hundred years ago was real. So if we were wrong after five hundred years, the question is, what they tell you? Well, you're gonna go uh, use some footage of your drinking fire. <laughs> So we got like, you can't see it very well here, the light here, but uh, you got like Southern America turning here. But what's interesting here is they, what, is this image been doctored by Paul? Yes or no? Has it been doctored? Yeah, it's fed up because South America at this speed is going to be around in five minutes. But what's interesting is the clouds are not morphing. Check it out. See that big cluster of clouds? 
from the poor to the rich. I'm sorry that you don't like class and the truth, my friend, but you were stuck with it. And the poor have been systematically looted in this country. The rich have been made richer under this criminal, fascist president and his government. Yes, George, George, I think you know, you know what fascism is. You know what fascism is? You know what Nazis are? No, what fascism comes to America, it will not be in brown and black shirts. It will not be with jackboots. It will be Nike sneakers and smiley shirts. Smiley, smiley. The, the, the fascism. Germany lost the Second World War. Fascism won it. Believe and actually, me, my fascism is when corporations become the government. Yeah. You know when Pluto was a planet? Yeah. What happened to that shit? We were at nine planets, and now we're at eight. Like, and everybody's like, huh, okay, you're off on the solar system, and we're not nine planets, we're eight. That's fucked up. I'm sorry. I noticed that. Everybody else went back to bed. You know, like, you're like, you're like, let's say it's nine planets going around the sun. And then suddenly, like, in the year 2000, what, seven, eight? After fucking Y2K? Uh, we fucked up. Sweetie's not a planet. What? No, 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 no. You don't fuck up on planets. You can't fucking tell me for 500 years that there's nine fucking planets and they just started slipping in the Yahoo front page. Uh, we discovered Sweetie's too small to be a planet. Sorry. <laughs> we fucked up. There's only eight. But come on. You can't just do that and I go, mm-hmm. suck my thumb and, you know, eat your fucking shit pad. There's no fucking way. What about the guy who works at NASA and he just studies Pluto? That's all he fucking learned. He went to university. Poor sucker. What's he doing now? He's fucking on the street, penniless. He's nothing to do. He's just studying one fucking planet. You know how they get specific in their physics and you study a planet from a picture they've never fucking seen? They're like, I'm an expert on Jupiter, man. No, I know Mercury inside out. Fucking find out the news. It's like, uh, what are you doing here, man? I came in for work. Did you hear the news? What? Pluto's not a planet, man. You're off, man. You're fucking way off. It's a moon. Screwed up. It's too small. The lighter missions were big enough to be called a planet. Because apparently, that light in the sky, they were saying, was that picture that was hitting with Pluto, suddenly one day diminished rapidly. So they had to come up with something, you know, something quick, because that thing they fucking pointed at the sky, that's Pluto. That's moving around. It was like, oh, suddenly one day everybody's like, hey, uh, what happened to the light on Pluto? Because uh, did, uh, did that bulb go out? And then there was a big debate, well, we can't decide whether it's a planet based on how much light you see. This is ridiculous. You've got to give us more to work on. Like, uh, like a rocket that sends it there to check out to see if it's big enough to be a fucking planet. You know, like... Nobody's going after this shit, they're just taking NASA. I mean, one day NASA could come out and say something on fucking Yahoo, and we'd all be, like, repeating it. Like, we'd just be like, yeah. So, like, uh, we found a distant planet off the distant moon Io of Jupiter. And I'd be like, wait a minute, are you saying, would be a bunch of fucking Star Trek physics nerds at NASA going, wait a minute, are you saying that moons can have their own planets? That's fucking crazy. You think planets can revolve around moons? No. Oh my god, planets can revolve around moons! And if you flip it out, no, that's what we can. I've got planets too, man. They just keep going. Showbiz is completely dishonest, corrupt, and full of shit, but in a nice way. <laughs> Plenty of expensive drugs and perverted sex. If you're gonna be full of shit, might as well enjoy your work. <laughs> then you have the media. 
not just the news media, let's include them all. The media are almost literally exploding with bullshit because they're located right at the crossroads of all the other bullshit. The media are made up of equal parts, advertising, politics, business, public relations, and show business. These people are sitting right at bullshit junction. There's enough bullshit in the media for Texas to open a branch office. And you still have enough left over to start two law firms and a Christian bookstore. My mind doesn't work that way. I got this real moron thing I do, it's called thinking. And I'm not a very good American because I like to form my own opinions. I don't just roll over when I'm told to. Sad to say, most Americans just roll over on command. Not me. I have certain rules I live by. My first rule, I don't believe anything the government tells me. Nothing. And I don't take very seriously the media or the press in this country, who in the case of the Persian Gulf War were nothing more than unpaid employees of the Department of Defense, and who most of the time, most of the time, function as kind of an unofficial public relations agency for the United States government. So I don't listen to them, I don't really believe in my country, and I gotta tell you folks, I don't get all choked up about yellow ribbons and American flags. Every reason why, government's lying to you about everything. Oh, no, 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 not the moon landing. Oh, no, no. Don't take that one from us, too. That's the easiest one for me to take. They didn't go to the moon to go to the moon. They went to the moon so they could get the picture of the Earth as a ball. Because they didn't have one yet. And it was uh, starting to get a little, uh, a little tense in the higher chambers. You said 2,000 years of the ball, and you don't even have a picture to show for it. But how could you have a picture just to, you know, they had those. They needed the event to actually get the, a real picture. There's just so few of those pictures when you actually look at them. And most of them. George Lucas or like Stanley Kubrick could have done. Or I could do. Or you can see a guy in the street with the spray can and a circle cut out of cardboard making planets. Now, there's one thing you might have noticed I don't complain about. Politicians. Everybody complains about politicians. Everybody says they suck. Yeah. Well, where do people think these politicians come from? They don't fall out of the sky. They don't pass through a membrane from another reality. They come from American parents and American families, American homes, American schools, American churches, American businesses, and American universities, and they're elected by American citizens. This is the best we can do, folks. This is what we have to offer. It's what our system produces. Garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> if you have selfish, ignorant citizens, if you have selfish, ignorant citizens, you're going to get selfish, ignorant leaders. The term limits ain't going to be any good. You're just going to wind up with a brand new bunch of selfish, ignorant Americans. So maybe, maybe, maybe it's not the politicians who suck. Maybe something else sucks around here. Like the public. Yeah, the public sucks. There's a nice campaign slogan for somebody. The public sucks. Fuck hope. Fuck hope. Because if it's really just the fault of these politicians, then where are all the other bright people of conscience? 
Where are all the bright, honest, intelligent Americans ready to step in and save the nation and lead the way? We don't have people like that in this country. Everybody's at the mall. I'm Jason Calabri with Financial News, and today we're talking to a real Irishman and someone in the money business about what's going on in Ireland with the Celtic Tiger and the, and the, the, the banks are hurting so much, the downfall. What's, what's the story here? Do you, do you really want to know? I'd love to know. But I tell you, it's like what has happened all over the Western world for the last 20 or 30 years. Greed, greed, and more fucking greed, and cheap money. And in Ireland, it's a tragedy what happened to the Tiger. We have, uh, I'd say, four causes. We had a stupid fucking government. Uh, we had a regulator that was asleep at the wheel. Uh, we had uh, very deceitful and conniving and corrupt developers. And, of course, above all, wanking fucking bankers. Wanking bankers. We had these assholes that for the last 20, 30 years are getting these massive bonuses, these employees and directors of banks on the misfortune of the working class and getting these huge bonuses and salaries. But, you know, if you and all these assholes should be thrown in jail and the keys thrown away for the rest of their life. And, you know, sir, if you went in and you're unemployed and you wanted to take a loaf of bread out of it, uh, a store or a supermarket to feed your family. Guess what? You'll be up in court for it. These assholes are living all over the world now on the backs of the misfortunate working people. And who's going to pay for all this? We've mortgaged the next generation or two. Who's going to pay for it? The working man. We've got the laborer, the small farmer, the fisherman, um, the nurse, the teacher, the policeman, the fireman, the plumber, the carpenter. Fuck's sake, man. It's, this, is, this is a joke. So I'm sensing a, a wee bit of discontent. You are indeed, sir. And, and by the way, let's not be too cocky in this part of the world, North America either. All these debts that people have accumulated over the last 30 years, hey, everybody gets their day in the sunshine. Not too bright, folks. Not too fucking bright. But if you talk to one of them about this, if you isolate one of them, you sit them down rationally, you talk to them about the low IQs and the dumb behavior and the bad decisions, right away they start talking about education. That's the big answer to everything. Education. So we need more money for education. We need more, more, more books, more teachers, more classrooms, more schools. Uh, we need more testing for the kids. He said, oh, well, you know, we've tried all of that, and the kids still can't pass the test. He said, oh, don't you worry about that. We're going to lower the passing grades. And that's what they do in a lot of these schools now. They lower the passing grades so more kids can pass. More kids pass. The school looks good. Everybody's happy. The IQ of the country slips another two or three points. And pretty soon, all you'll need to get into college is a fucking pencil. Got a pencil? Get the fuck in there. It's physics. And everyone wonders why 17 other countries graduate more scientists than we do. Education. Politicians know that word. They use it on you. Politicians have traditionally hidden behind three things. The flag, the Bible, and children. No child left behind. No child left behind. Oh, really? Well, it wasn't long ago you were talking about giving kids a head start. Head start, left behind. Someone's losing fucking ground here. But there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason for this. There's a reason education sucks. It's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The big, the wealthy, the real owners, the big, wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. They're, they're, they're an irrelevant. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. 
They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They've got the judges in their back pocket. And they own all the big media, media news, all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interests. That's right. You know something? They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table to figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers, obedient workers, people who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your Social Security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. You and I are not in the big club. By the way, it's the same big club they use to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe all day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged. And nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hard-working people, white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on. Good, honest, hard-working people continue. These are people of modest means. Continue to elect these rich cocksuckers who don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all, at all, at all. Yeah. You know? And nobody seems to notice, nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. There's just enough bullshit to hold things together in this country. Bullshit is the glue that binds us as a nation. Where would we be without our safe, familiar American bullshit? Land of the free, home of the brave, the American dream. All men are equal, justice is blind, the press is free, your vote counts, business is honest, the good guys win, the police are on your side, God is watching you, your standard of living will never decline, and everything is going to be just fine. The official national bullshit story. I call it the American Okie Doke. Every one of those items is provably untrue at one level or another, but we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. That's what they do with that kind of stuff. They put it in the heads of kids, they pound it in there because kids, they know kids are too young to be able to mount a sophisticated argument against these kind of ideas. And so, a kid, and up to a certain age, by the way, kids are going to believe everything a grown-up tells them, everything. So they, so kids never learn to question things. Nobody questions things in this country anymore. Nobody questions things. Why? People are too fat and happy. People are way too fucking prosperous for their own good. Everyone's got a cell phone that'll make pancakes and rub their balls now, you know? So, nobody wants 
wants nobody wants to rock the boat. And people people just Americans have been silenced, bought off and silenced by Kuzmos and Joy. And as a result, no one's ever learned to question things. Children who want to read don't read. Kids who want to learn to read don't learn to read. Much more important to teach children to question what they read. Children should be taught to question everything. To question everything they read. Everything they hear. Children should be taught to question authority. Parents never teach their children to question authority because parents are authority figures themselves and they don't want to undermine their own bullshit inside the household. So they stroke the kids, and the kids stroke them, and they all stroke each other, and they all grow up all fucked up when they come to shows like this. MSNBC waiting for me on the other coastline. If it's a ball, the earth's a ball, then you should be set up with camera crews for the most humiliating, comical event in the history of man. The guy who's so smart, so sure that you're lying, and he's wrong, and you're going to catch him on film when he comes across Antarctica on the other coastline. That's why you gave him the sanction and, and exclusive rights to the extreme world race organization based out of London, England, to allow people to do expeditions across. That's why every person who goes into Antarctica is either a UN operat- operative or, or a shill or one of those you know, scientific bodies underneath the, the Antarctic Treaty Project. I mean, poor Yao Andahoy, he didn't even know what he was getting into. He jumped the fence. Look what happened to Yarl Andahoy. I think it's Y-A-R-L. You know, J-A-R-L-E. Andahoy, A-M-B-C-H-O-Y. Go look at what happened to him. He still doesn't get it. Poor bike. You want to have a fight? Let's have a real fight. The flat earth against the ball. That's the fight. That's the fight they don't want you to have. That's the fight you, they don't want you to entertain in your head. That's the fight they don't want you to entertain in your mind. Whether the images of the earth as a ball are fake.
this is a series of clues that can help you get your head around both the design of the flat earth system we live in and who has been involved in the deception to hide it from you. The clue you have to look at is built upon another conspiracy that has been around for decades, namely the space program. Most of those watching this are aware of the varying theories revolving around NASA, the Apollo program, the space shuttle, the International Space Station, and so on. The clue itself isn't based on one of these highly debated topics, but the lack of one. More specifically, motion pictures based on actual events. This, like others in the series, is something you can check out for yourself. Everything you need to reference this is online. To begin, think of all the movies involving space travel that you've seen in your lifetime. We'll start with the obvious. Star Wars, Star Trek, Alien, just to name a few. In fact, if you go through your own personal list, you could probably come up with over 100 different off-world movies without breaking much of a sweat. That part is easy. For the second group, try to come up with space movies that aren't fantasy-based. You'll get a list that has Red Planet, Gravity, Mission to Mars, 2001, things like that. These films will usually take on a not-so-distant future theme and where we could be down the road. And this is still a pretty good-sized list. These first two groups of films are encouraged by the authority because they reinforce the globe model through assumption. The entertainment system demands that the globe view and solar system concept is a given. Therefore, the actual worldview must also be true. Or to put it another way, if you're using your suspension of disbelief as you watch a movie like, say, Gravity, then subconsciously you're reinforcing the movie right on top of the real world. The more of these movies you watch and enjoy, the more the lines blur between what you want to believe and what you actually know. Watch enough movies about Mars, and you will be less astonished when NASA announces an actual mission to Mars. Same with the moon, other solar systems, and so on. Releasing the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey in 1968, right before the actual moon missions, was no accident. It took the greatest director of all time five years to make, and several people who saw the theater screenings claimed that many military groups were listed in the credits, only to be removed years later. But 2001 is just a side note of this clue. For those who really want to dig into Stanley Kubrick's hidden vision, I highly recommend the documentary Room 237. A link to it is below as well. Now you are aware of the first two groups of space films. There are those that contain generous amounts of fantasy and those who try to paint our near future. These two groups are easy to find. The third group is a challenge, and again, that's where things get interesting. The moon missions concluded in 1972, and even though it's still considered the greatest achievement by mankind, no fact-based movies were made regarding it until The Right Stuff was released in 1983. Now you might say that it had only been 11 years, and maybe it was tough to get the rights, and so on, but that's not what made the film interesting. The movie ran extremely long for 1983, coming in at 3 hours and 12 minutes. It was an exhaustive look at the astronaut selection process, the competition, and the training facility itself, 
But when the credits rolled three hours later, chronologically, they had only gotten to the low Earth orbit missions. Just for fun, Google the Right Stuff movie and see how many spacecraft you can find. It won four Academy Awards and did a great job at the box office, but the Apollo missions were never touched. The only other major motion picture that involved the actual moon program was Apollo 13 in 1995, a full 12 years later. Apollo 13 only covered a single moon orbit and no landing or close-up reference to the previous missions below them. And after 1995, that was it. Nothing. Hollywood is known for leaving no stone unturned with reboots and sequels to nearly everything. Yet in almost 60 years, there has never been a single moon mission movie based on actual events. Hundreds of science fiction films referencing it. Everything from Superman to the Transformers, but literally nothing that covers the moon's surface. Six complete moon missions involving multiple vehicles, moon buggies, playing golf, and no one wants to touch it. Now, to be fair, there was a TV miniseries in 1998 covering the subject. It was produced by Tom Hanks, who got involved after starring in Apollo 13. There has been no professional production of any kind since then. Again, just for fun, Google from Earth to the Moon TV series and see what you find. The why is easy, and the clue revealed. If Hollywood makes a movie about the moon landings, and it's indistinguishable from the real thing, then how do you know which is real? It raises some subtle questions involving stage technique and how long they've been in place. If Hollywood could fake it now, then when did they first have the ability? There is one other movie which stands out, and I mention it because I can't believe it ever got made, is Capricorn One. The film's plot involved the faking of a Mars mission and how it could be accomplished. In short, it's part of the Conspiracy World Bible. I highly recommend it, and the link is below. To summarize, all space movies are encouraged by the authority, except for the ones that are based on actual accounts. Those are not allowed. The moon program has been buried in entertainment because the moon cannot be reached. It's either outside the barrier or just a highly rendered image, like any planet you see when entering a video game. The world is flat, and this is just one clue. This clue revolves around one of the most remarkable men you may have never heard of, Richard E. Byrd, and his relationship with Antarctica and the secretive missions he carried out there until his dying day. Some of you have followed the legend of Richard Byrd through the hollow earth theory. We aren't going to be covering any hollow earth in this video, but instead focus on the man and his involvement with the South Pole. The Reader's Digest version of Richard Byrd is as follows. Born in 1888, he became an American naval officer who specialized in feats of exploration. He was a pioneering American aviator. Medal of Honor winner, polar explorer, aircraft navigator, expedition leader in the worst environments in the world, and the youngest admiral in the history of the Navy. In addition, his list of awards takes up several pages in Wikipedia, including three ticker tape parades in his honor. In short, 
he was Indiana Jones on steroids. Some people will say that Roy Chapman Andrews was the real Indiana Jones. And you might be right. But Richard Byrd beat Indy six days a week and twice on Sunday. I mention all his accolades to paint a picture of credibility and trust. The governments of the United States and the world trusted his judgment and leadership and took advantage of every chance they had to put him in charge of special missions. The first large-scale mission was an expedition to Antarctica in 1928. This was noteworthy because even though he had just flown over the North Pole in 1926, all expeditions from 1928 on were focused on the South. The expedition lasted two years, and during it, at the age of 41, he was promoted to admiral. His second Antarctic expedition ran from 1933 to 1935, and his third from 39 to 40. While in Antarctica, he was also an advisor for other countries who had their own expeditions, including England, France, Germany, and building off previous countries' expeditions from Belgium, Japan, and Sweden. He then helped lead U.S. Navy fleet operations in World War II, was present during the Japanese surrender in 1945, but then something strange happened. He went back to Antarctica. Now, some of you aren't surprised because he'd been there since 1928, and I agree with you. It's the how that's interesting here. His fourth trip to Antarctica wasn't an expedition. It was a military operation called Operation High Jump, commanding an entire aircraft carrier group that included 13 support ships, Admiral Byrd led 4,700 men to the South Pole for reasons that are still shrouded to this day. Some say they were chasing the remaining Nazi fleet, even though Germany had surrendered a full year earlier. Others say there was a Nazi base established in Antarctica during the war when Admiral Byrd was absent. None of these theories are important for this video. What we do know is that the U.S. had sent an excessively large military force to the ice, all under the guise of peaceful intentions. During this operation, Admiral Byrd told a Chile newspaper this, the most important result of his observations and discoveries is the potential effect that they have in relation to the security of the United States. The fantastic speed in which the world is shrinking recalled the Admiral, is one of the most important lessons learned during his recent Antarctic exploration. I have to warn my compatriots that the time has ended when we were able to take refuge in our own isolation and rely on the certainty that the distances, the oceans, and the poles were a guarantee of safety. After the operation, Admiral Byrd toured the States and gave interviews, the most interesting of which is a national television show in 1954 called The Long Ines Chronoscope. A horrible name, but a decent show. I've added a segment of it at the end of this video and linked it in the description. During this television interview, he first spoke of an area beyond the South Pole as large as the United States, which no one had set foot on yet. He then went on to say that there would probably be expeditions year after year because the U.S. government had really become interested. The interviewers then probed as to why the interest in the South, when any perceived military threat from Russia, keep in mind this was 1954, would be from the North. He went on to say that it was the most valuable and important place in the world for science. It involved the future of the nation, an untouched reservoir of untapped resources, 
including coal, oil, minerals, and uranium. He added that at the time of the interview, there were seven nations currently engaged in Antarctica, including Russia, Australia, Argentina, Chile, and New Zealand. During the interview, the Admiral talked about planning the next military mission to Antarctica. It was called Operation Deep Freeze and ran from 1955 to 1956. The mission was completed, and he supposedly returned home. Now, this is where you come in and say, so what? And normally, I'd agree with you, except for what happened next. Nothing happened next. The missions just suddenly stopped, and that was it. No other expeditions, military or otherwise, were conducted on the continent, ever. Then a treaty was put in place, banning any country from doing basically anything. The end. And if you're wondering what you're missing, it's this. Admiral Byrd goes on television, says that this massive body of land, most of which sits on a plateau two miles high, is rich with every resource you could ever want, energy-rich, pristine, with no indigenous population or plant life. And every country that has sent teams is ready to carve it up like a big turkey. Not to mention, there's an expanse of land larger than the United States they haven't even looked at yet. And out of the blue, everyone just calls the whole thing off? There are no environmentalists in 1959. This is land of diner food and 20-cent gas. I'm calling total BS on this one. The dollar value of the initial resources fined would have fueled armies of greedy companies. So what happened? They found the edge, that's what. And the last thing they were going to do was let unsupervised companies near it, regardless of the money. Even if it was hundreds of miles away, you couldn't allow resource corporations even into a safe area, and then years down the road as they expanded, tell them, oh, sorry, you can't go beyond this point. When the companies would ask why, what would you tell them? And now the interior of Antarctica is off limits, with no revisions until the year 2041. You can take tours of the outer islands, but there is a hidden line enforced by the military that you will not be able to cross, because the interior is actually the exterior edge. It's there, it's hidden, and it's protected. The earth you live on is flat. A very distinguished guest for this evening is Admiral Richard E. Byrd. The North Pole used to be a no man's land, but uh, these are the days when, by buying a ticket on a commercial airliner, you can fly across the North Pole and drink a cocktail at the same time. You know, only three score or more years ago, about 35 years ago, our guest tonight found out whether there was any land north of the North American continent. He made that first discovery flight, and I must say that Admiral Byrd, our guest tonight, is not only our greatest living explorer, but he's been an inspiration to countless Americans. Admiral Byrd, you've been to both the North Pole and the South Pole. Is there any unexplored land left on this earth that might appeal to adventurous young Americans? Uh, yes, there is. And not up around the North Pole because it's getting crowded up there now because they find out it's really usable not only to live in, but militarily. 
But strangely enough, there's left in the world today an area as big as the United States that's never been seen by a human being. And that's beyond the pole on the other side of the South Pole from Middle America. And it's, uh, I think it's quite astonishing that there should be an area as big as that unexplored. That's a tremendous So job. there's a lot of adventure left down at the bottom of the world. Admiral, Admiral a, an expedition to which I believe you're the advisor is now en route. Uh, what is that expedition doing? Well, that's the icebreaker ATCA. And it's a reconnaissance expedition. It's going down to the South Pole area to make certain observations and to, to look for some bases. They will be back in April, and they will report back. And upon the information we get from that undertaking, uh, we will base the bigger expedition that's to follow. Uh, is that very definitely planned, or uh, is that... Uh, that is being planned right now. So I'm willing to say to you that uh, there will be a number of expeditions that will follow, I think, uh, year after year, bottom of the world, because the government has really become interested. Well, Admiral Bird, I can understand. I think everybody can, the interest in the North Pole, because it's so near our greatest challenger, Soviet Russia. But why this interest in the bottom of the world? Nobody's living down there, is it? No, it's, um, it's pretty cold. There's only one permanent resident, that's the Emperor Penguin. The little ones live further north. i tell you one reason they're interested. It's by far the most uh, valuable, important place left in the world for science. That's why the scientific groups all over the nation are really interested. But more important than that, it's, uh, it has to do with the future uh, of the nation those to come after us, or even uh, during your lifetime. Because it happens to be an untouched reservoir of natural resources. And, uh, you know, as the world swings with an ever-increasing acceleration, far-flung places, once useless, like we thought the North Pole was, and no man's land, become very useful. Uh, the bottom of the world will be important, not only to us, but to our allies. Uh, does it? I was going to ask you. Does it have military importance? Uh, it has some, and uh, as the world shrinks, it will continue to shrink with an ever-increasing acceleration. That's bringing these places closer, and in the future, I can see a time when it will be very, very important strategically. Well, has the development of air power increased there? Is it strategic importance of places like the uh, Oh, very much. Palmer so. Peninsula was there. Uh, very much so. Even now. If uh, anything happened and we uh, lost the Panama Canal, we would have to control the islands just north of Antarctica, which are part of Antarctica. Then between there and Cape Admiral, you speak of the resources of Antarctica. What are they? What, uh, what are the natural resources there? Well, uh, we found enough coal within 180 miles of the South Pole in a great uh, ridge of mountains. It's not covered with snow, enough to supply the whole world for quite a while. Well, uh, that's, that's the coal. Now, there's evidence of uh, other, many other minerals. Uh, we are pretty sure there's oil. Now, that coal shows the bottom of the world. Now, by far, the coldest spot in the world. Where that coal is gets 100 below zero in the weather. Well, uh, it was once tropical. So uh, we think there's oil there, and there's evidence 
probably uranium there. Is there any secret? Is there uranium there? That would be the only thing that would be practical to uh, actually go after, I suppose. Everything else would be economically uh, unfeasible, wouldn't it? Well, as we recklessly expend our resources, the time will come, and we can, we'll have to go after that stuff there now. Well, you know, I, I avoided what you said about a uranium. I'm not sure about that. I don't want to have the world fighting over the Antarctic. I mean, is there a competition among other nations to try to get information about uh, Antarctica and to possibly to secure some of these resources? Well, uh, yes. Uh, there are now several nations very much interested. Russia is interested tremendously. That I'm sure of. Australia has an expedition down there. The Argentine, the Chile, New Zealand, Britain, and so on. Now, you can understand those people down there being uh, interested because they live down there, the New Zealanders, the Argentines, the Chileans, and the Australians. And so uh, we, uh, we don't do much about claiming anything. Admiral, you uh, make it sound a little crowded. Uh, uh, are, are, are there that many expeditions now there or en route there? Uh, well, you know, as I said, it's the most peaceful place in the world, but I don't think it will be for long because of this intense interest on the part of, uh, of other nations and this nation. This clue looks into the USGS, otherwise known as the mapmakers of the world, and a few surprising things that they and others have in common with the Flat Earth idea. All the reference links are provided in the description below, and I encourage you to check them out. For those of you outside the United States, USGS stands for United States Geological Survey, a scientific branch of the U.S. government. Formed in 1879, and with the help of the ever-expanding American empire, they quickly became the pre premier map makers of the known world. Currently, they have around 9,000 employees and an annual budget of over a billion dollars a year. They also have extensive science departments covering biology, geography, geology, hydrology, and many programs tied to them. Their motto since the 1990s has been science for a changing world. And I'm going to show you how true that really is. What does this large, really boring government group have to do with the flat earth? To understand that, you have to look into their origins which is in geography. To do this, you'll need to open another page that specializes in maps. The maps you see in this video are from Wikipedia, but there are others you can reference as well. The wiki list of map projections isn't much to look at as a whole, although there are a number of interesting takes on the world view. Not only do they have just about every perspective when it comes to the land we live on, but some detailed information on where the map originated, including name type, the origin or creator, and the year the map perspective was proposed. Now some of these will be very familiar, especially the ones that you would see on your classroom wall. There are a number of variations here, but the one that has been debated on recently would be this one, the Gauls Peters, which accurately shows the size difference between the continents the most obvious clue being that the white continent of Greenland is actually tiny compared to Africa. But I digress. If you keep going down through all the different shapes, you'll get into circular maps. But only one of these is a top-down perspective that shows the continents in the center surrounded by an unbroken ring of ice. In wiki, it's called the azimuthal equidistant, 
And just to make it easier, I'm going to abbreviate and call it AE for short. Why is this map so interesting? Well, if you're looking at the wiki page, you'll spot a few reasons. The first is that in the notes section of the map, and I quote, used by the USGS in the National Atlas of the United States. It also mentions that it is used as the emblem of the United Nations. Of all the maps on this screen, it is the only one that references a group of any kind. And if you keep this page open and navigate over to the Flat Earth section of Wiki, you'll notice towards the bottom of the page a similar map. I've referenced it here, and you can tell quite easily it's identical, but not referenced or linked as the AE model. To make things even more strange, we go back to the USGS model, and you see that it was first proposed a thousand years ago, and you may think, well, that's a bad link. So you compare it with the person who proposed it, and you get this guy, Al Biruni. Who was Al Biruni? Well, he lived around a thousand years ago and was considered one of the greatest scholars of his era, schooled in multiple sciences. Have you ever heard of him? I hadn't. Maybe it's multiple bad references in Wiki. Well, no, because NASA knows who he is and named this moon crater after him. So why is the USGS using a version of the world map designed by a thousand-year-old Persian scientist? Because it's correct. That's why. So to be clear, let's compare them again. The United Nations flag, the USGS official map of the Earth, and the Flat Earth model. All identical, but one isn't recognized and instead ridiculed as an outdated look at the world. And this is one of those political quandaries that the authority gets stuck in. The short version is this. The government is on the same page as the flat earth, but they can't admit it, even in confidence. We know the earth isn't flat, they say, but it really is. We know you use the same map as we do, but ours is just an image. And anyone who says differently is obviously crazy. It makes you wonder how long the USGS has been using that model as an official reference. The United Nations started using it for their logos in 1945 and then made some final adjustments in 1947. And the UN flag also raises a few questions, like, why isn't Antarctica represented on the map? Is it supposed to be assumed in the outer circle or perhaps the spiky olive branches on the outside? They don't mention it anywhere online. And this is what I'd like to focus on the gaps, the holes in the plot, the unanswered questions. The USGS using the same map as the flat earth, but not saying why, not recognizing it, or that you can't link the very same image from the flat earth wiki back to the actual AE definition of the projection. The authority figured out in the 1950s all of the borders of our enclosed world and have done a great job hiking it over the decades. But the world's a complex place, and there are clues out there just lying around. I think it's time you saw some of them. This clue covers the near-perfect design of the Flat Earth model and will break down some of the logic behind the decisions made. 
It sounds like a big task, and it is. But to start, let's look at something small, like this little guy. Take an ordinary mouse and put it into a glass cage. It doesn't have to be a mouse. It could be a snake, a lizard, an insect. It makes little difference for this exercise. People identify with mice because they're used to seeing them in lab experiments. Mice also don't have any sinister connotations. They're seen as relatively innocent and benign, the perfect test subject, as it were. I have yet to meet anyone who has a bias against the lab mouse. So the mouse goes into the box for the first time, and the reaction is always the same. It explores its surroundings, and more importantly, tests the barrier around it, probing for exits or potential exits. The mouse inspects every inch of its new glass home, and at some point settles into the acceptance that the walls are indeed solid and that it may be there for a while. Every so often, it will repeat the process, again checking the boundaries of the cage, just in case something has changed. What it doesn't do is act like it would in the wild, because it realizes that it's in a form of captivity. The glass box doesn't even remotely resemble its natural environment. You could put this box in the middle of a forest, and the mouse may feel slightly better about its situation, but it still knows that it's been trapped against its will and will settle into a non-native lifestyle. You could take all the other small animals that could be substituted for a mouse, the snake, the lizard, the insect. It makes no difference. The result will invariably be the same. Repeated probing for escape routes, then acceptance. Take the same animal and now put it into the middle of a 100-mile square wildlife preserve, surrounded on all sides by a similar type of glass enclosure. The creature doesn't even bother to rush the size of the preserve and start testing the boundaries, mostly because it's out of visual range. It could be days or even weeks before it even encounters a single fence. The animal's routine is spent doing what it normally would do. It eats, it sleeps, it breeds. It does everything that it would naturally do in the wild. If one day the animal approaches the fence, there might be some curiosity, but any anxiety is quickly resolved by just turning around and heading back into the vast expanse from which it came. The fence does not pose a potential problem for the animals in the preserve because it is so small compared to the expanse they live in, and dwelling on it doesn't hold any interest. We're assuming here that the fence is high enough to discourage flying creatures as well, deep enough to stop burrowing classes, and if you want, reaches the floor of any nearby body of water, stopping any clever aquatic types. The point here is that all creatures great and small inside a giant wildlife preserve, when encountering the fence, wouldn't care. They would all, in their own way, just shrug and move on with their lives. However, if you take a human, male or female, regardless of education or nurturing, and put them in the exact same wildlife sanctuary, the response would be quite different. When the human approaches the glass fence, they don't see it as a minor distraction. They pause, they wonder, and more importantly, they ask questions, either internally or amongst others. Why is the fence here? How far does it reach? Can I dig underneath or climb over or go around it? These questions continue in a way you might imagine, but eventually, a bigger question jumps to the top of the list. Who built the fence? It is that which changes not only the type of questions being asked, but how the human being or beings look at their world. The giant wildlife preserve suddenly gets smaller. Each new fence border discovered 
starts to artificially constrict their expanse, even though the dimensions haven't changed. Before long, the preserve, their home, loses some of its relevance. The fence is a reminder of the unknown. It provokes fear and endless speculation within the human. Given enough time, the importance of the preserve continues to be reduced, especially in relation to the fence. And the reason why it's so engrossing for the human is simple. It's there. It's real. They can see it and maybe even touch it. Adding more humans to the equation increases the disparity of the situation by orders of magnitude. Have you seen the fence? Do you know how long it's been here? Have you ever known anyone that's been outside it? It's older than us. Who is responsible for the fence? What can we do to appease the group that created it? You can see what this might lead to. A long-lasting group hysteria would entrench itself within the population, grab hold and never let go. The fence is bigger, older, and wiser than they are. It humbles them. It angers them. And it is forever. It is their proof of a higher power. Maybe not God, but certainly God-like. No civilization, regardless of technology, discipline, or age, would be able to cope with the existence of it. For the human psyche, there are just too many questions that go unanswered. Life would never be able to progress normally. To summarize, a garden variety wildlife preserve would work for 99.99% of all the world's life forms. For human beings, however, you would need to make some modifications, or really just one big one. So let's take a look at a few examples of how this could be accomplished, and from there expand it. The first failed example can be seen in the 1998 movie Dark City. This is a good starting point to get you in the right mindset. The premise here is that an advanced race creates a small flat earth area, complete with a traditional dome. The design, however, is initially flawed in that they built the city all the way to the outer edge, leaving no room for error. To compensate for this, they altered the memories of the human population on a regular basis, therefore repressing any long-term investigations. However, in movies, there are always anomalies, like the police officer who realizes that even though he remembers visiting a place called Shell Beach, there is no way to reach it because Shell Beach is outside of the flat world and never existed. He just keeps going around the circular city that has no exits. In the end, another man, the hero of the movie, makes it to the edge, steals the advanced race's power, and creates an ocean, which really should have been there in the first place. Move from there to a movie released only four months later called The Truman Show. Inevitably, all flat earthers have to take a hard look at this movie from a technical point of view. The movie follows the same lines as Dark City, but in a much more relatable premise, that of a giant television stage built so that the outside world can watch a person go through his life without any knowledge that he is living inside a flat world, surrounded by a physical dome. The movie is interesting on several levels, including construction. Using their existing model of a small town bordered on one side by a large lagoon and wilderness and the other a seemingly expansive ocean, while better than Dark City, still had its flaws. For one, it was less than 20 miles across, and even though Truman's desire to explore was repressed, there was still a chance that he would venture to the outer edge 
which is where the movie ended. But for the most part, it worked. Truman believed the entire scenario because he was born into it and then lived 30-plus years without any reason to doubt where he was, which could be said for any of us. If it wasn't for the, and we'll say movie mistakes, that the studio fell victim to, then the show would have never ended. And this then raises hypothetical scenarios like how many kids like Truman could you have raised inside that dome? 10? 50? Now, logistically, you can see how it might be problematic in keeping tabs on that many kids, especially as they got older. But with enough sleight of hand, it could be possible. A fictional situation just like that was made into the 2004 movie, The Village. And even though it turned into one of those M. Night Shyamalan plot twist things, the premise was very feasible. A wealthy group of idealists buy a large parcel of land in an existing wildlife preserve, create a small town from the 1800s, and raise children there. They pay off government officials to keep planes far away and spread a myth that monsters live in the forest. As far as the kids are concerned, they actually are living in a small Pennsylvania town in the 1800s. And being born into it, why wouldn't they? If the story continued, eventually the elders that founded the town would all pass away, leaving the children to pass on the legacy, free from any burden of guilt that their world was not what it appeared to be. And keep in mind, this was done with very little land manipulation and no dome. This then circles back to how many actors the fictional Truman Show really needed to hire. Other than the leads who did product placement, the rest of the town could actually just live their lives like anyone else. Use phone lines to call outside, go to restaurants, watch television at home, and so on. But again, I digress. Assuming the technology was possible, how many people like Truman could you keep in a dome the size of, say, a state that was hundreds of miles across? Probably thousands. If you kept expanding the size of the dome to a few thousand miles, well, then you're talking millions. But when it gets that big, something interesting happens. You don't need the actors anymore. Started up like the village, and within just a few generations, everyone is oblivious. you need for the human race to keep the storylines consistent and remove all the hocus-pocus of monsters in the woods or that you can't get to Shell Beach you place in gradual negative reinforcement one that creates an illusion of choice say for example that Truman went out in the sailboat the same as before but this time the dome was twice the size and the simulated ocean far larger how far would he travel before getting hungry, thirsty, or tired? The movie ending is then in doubt. And if you compare this scenario where where you are now, then you start to see it. Look at the flat earth map again. Continents grouped in the center, surrounded in all directions by hundreds of miles of salt water. Think about how much further ancient ships would have traveled if you could drink what you were sailing on. As you move closer to the edge, the temperature starts taking a nosedive. 
then you start seeing icebergs. If that doesn't stop you, then you run into what we call Antarctica, which is a steep climb two miles up with no plant life or indigenous livestock animals. And if you had the wherewithal to make it that far, you would still have hundreds of miles of endless ice and snow. It's easy to see why so few people have gone the distance. Compare this to the upper ceiling, which is much easier to maintain. You simply decrease the oxygen rates so that every thousand feet up, it gets more difficult to breathe. This slows down exploration over mountain ranges and discourages limited control flight, such as balloons. Also keep in mind that the dome itself doesn't have to be that high in relation to the outer ring. With commercial aircraft capping out at 10 miles and rockets less than 400, the dome would actually look more like a stadium roof, depending on how you wanted to display things like the sun, moon, and stars. An enclosed world with these type of safeguards would be able to sustain an unknowing population for, say, what, 4,500 years? Then you could artificially introduce a globe model into the scientific community before the civilization technology reaches a point that could lead to discovery. And 500 years later, here we are. A civilization inside an amazing structure doing what we would naturally do while the authority stands by the gate and fears the consequences if we ever found out for ourselves. This clue covers the inevitable and sometimes frustrating question of why the authority would go to all the trouble of hiding the flat earth. My hope here is to show you different angles and a progression of events, all of which lead to a very changed world, both physically and mentally. To open, we have to go way back to when the world was a much more simple place. You had your five major religions, including Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Each of these groups had their own version of what is known in Genesis as the firmament, or the flat circular world enclosed by a solid dome-like barrier from where the creator or creators looked on. I'm not going to explore all the subtle differences between the groups. Suffice it to say that it's interesting that despite their differences that led to acts of horrible violence between them, there was no real earth model debate. So around 500 years ago, the science community, led by Copernicus, who probably had a little help, introduced what we now know as the heliocentric or globe model of the world which in turn changed the solar system, galaxy, and so on. The religions, seeing that this globe model was gaining popularity, feared a loss in the fan base, so they all adapted their religion to include the globe model. From their point of view, it was a small change from a circular to a globe world, and really, in a few generations, who would remember anyway? So the churches, mosques, temples, wrapped up their flat earth model in a metaphoric soft cloth, and put it in the drawer with the good silver for safekeeping. Remember this, because we'll come back to it later. And hundreds of years went by, with science promoting all the aspects of the globe, and the religions promoting their beliefs upon this globe. The world kept spinning, so to speak, and everyone was happy. Then in the early part of the 1900s, you get this pesky explorer named Richard Byrd, 
He has family money, all the right connections, and secures basically unlimited funding and the government green light to probe every piece of unseen territory there is. It was inevitable, I guess. A young man who has an unquenchable desire to see all that there is to see, and then granting him the tools needed to accomplish this goal. He pulls a Truman and gets lucky, crossing the vast salt ocean, avoiding the icebergs, arriving at the frozen coastline, and he keeps going. He was never going to stop. One day, after crossing hundreds of miles of high-altitude ice and snow, Admiral Byrd sees it, a barrier. And to him, it's just a barrier, not the barrier. He is but a tiny speck in front of it. It stretches out on both sides as far as he can see, and straight up so far that he can't discover the beginning of the arc. The great explorer now has a new challenge, finding the shape of this thing. It's much like a blind man describing the elephant. Until you feel out the whole thing, what do you really know? If you look at the AE or Flat Earth Overhead Map, you see the problem. To even determine the scope of the outer wall, you have to circle it. It would have taken months, if not years. You could use a series of ships going in opposite directions, or planes, but there are refueling stations that need to be built, and so on. His task was challenging, to say the least. Admiral Byrd kept laying the groundwork of the great discovery until his eventual death in 1957. A year later, the United States and Russia found the upper edge. From there, the math was easy. And moreover, you could actually see the real world. Then, of course, there is the decision, or deception, depending on how you looked at it. The authority made the call to hide the actual shape of where we live then sealed off the outer edge from prying eyes and created the space program not only to reinforce the globe model, but to control it. There was really only one reason they cared about this, and it takes a while to process. So let's look at the immediate effects of actual disclosure and work our way up to the authority's biggest fear. For this exercise, we'll look at releasing the news today instead of, say, 1958. Well, 1958 would have been easier. It's much more relevant and entertaining to explain it in modern terms. We start with a press conference by, let's say, the United Nations, who have discovered that the world is indeed enclosed in a giant high-tech dome of unknown origin and age. The public reacts with wonder and awe, trying to take in the sheer scope of this announcement. Facebook crashes, Twitter crashes, Entire mobile networks crash. It's like hitting a beehive with a sledgehammer. News organizations around the world send teams to the outer edge to confirm the finding. And the general public is glued to their media devices. That's the good news. The excitement. The revelation. The positive shock. Then the bad news starts coming in waves, some of which you might not expect. The first is the immediate disbanding of NASA and all other world space programs for obvious reasons. Most governments will secretly pardon these groups and keep them immune from class action lawsuits, the lawsuits themselves coming from NASA investment groups claiming fraud. Regardless, everyone at NASA, despite their good intentions, is out of a job overnight. And this is where you would say, good, they deserve it. About time they stopped lying to everyone. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. 
because every contractor and subcontractor that are exclusively tied to NASA, they have to shut down as well. Fine, a few thousand jobs lost, no big deal. And the ripples continue to spread, some bigger than others. Observatories all over the world close their doors. And the reasoning is this. If you've been looking at the ceiling for decades and couldn't tell it was a ceiling, then what good are you? Every university in the world that has an astronomy or astrophysics program, well, they don't anymore. Stephen Hawking, his book writing days are over. Carl Sagan, no more Nova in syndication, I guarantee it. Those professors are going to have to retool their skills and be prepared to answer one giant question. How did you not see it? Aren't there clues? People start finger pointing and it will continue for years. And still my fellow flat earthers will say, well, hell, that doesn't sound too bad. So some nerds around the world lose their jobs. So what? Eh, you don't get off that easy, is what? Finger pointing at the now defunct NASA will then turn to finger pointing at the government who directed the whole thing. This is where we run into some dangerous ground involving things like the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy Grail, and the Ring of Power. And you say, you lost me. I was with you until you started bringing up religious artifacts from movies. And you're supposed to be lost. Of the five major religions we mentioned earlier, those being Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, none have been able to produce a supernatural object over the last 5,000 years. And trust me, it would be beneficial to do so. The Ark of the Covenant would benefit Judaism, the Holy Grail Christianity, and the Ring of Power, well, that benefits someone else. Maybe I'll leave alone for now. The point is that all religions are actively seeking their leverage against science. You've heard of the division between church and state. Well, here it is. Advantage, church. The barrier becomes a giant religious symbol. And since it is backed by the Big Five, it also becomes universal. The Big Five then go into their drawer with the good silver and pull out this belief that was forgotten but not lost and say, we knew it all along and science lied to us. Temporarily, all religions unite against science, who has been only moderately weakened by the removal of their astronomy and astrophysics divisions. But the public won't care because they will listen to the group shouting the loudest and no one yells louder than the church. They will scream with righteous fury that the dome was built by our God, your God. And the people will turn to science and hear nothing but crickets. And that's where the world changes, because in times of great stress, the public will want words. And while religion has no shortage of them, science simply is incapable of taking leaps of faith. I'll take a glass half full approach and say that anyone listening to this is probably an intelligent, rational person, one who can make informed decisions outside of the conventional doctrine. But for every one of you, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of mouth-breathing troglodytes who will not walk but run to the respective house of religion and say, you were right about this. What else can you teach me? This is what fills the current authority with pause. 
the unknown response to that question. Will religion take the high road and work with what remains of science to discover the truth? It's possible, I suppose. It's also possible that religion will combine this technologically advanced society with a revitalized and aggressive doctrine that then transforms daily life into something that makes the book 1984 seem like a Saturday morning cartoon show. I'm hoping that mankind will prove me wrong, but so far, that isn't the case. So do some of your own research. This clue looks into the inevitable design question below the surface, or more specifically, how thick the flat earth design would need to be. To start, let's quickly recap the design features so far. A basic dome structure made up of advanced high-density material thousands of miles wide and at least 100 miles in height. The ceiling of said structure being projected upon by an ultra-high-definition system using super-LED technology and a combination of 2D and 3D imaging to simulate all celestial bodies, including sun, moon, stars, and so on. This ceiling is then protected by a scaling decrease in temperature and oxygen levels to the point where human life isn't naturally sustainable above four miles. The lower surface of the dome structure
We don't have time for a meeting of the Flat Earth Society. We're trying to move towards the future. They, they want to be stuck in the past. And we've heard this kind of thinking before.